I will live the rest of my life trying to prove to you that I'm sorry. And she said, I already know you're sorry. I don't need you to do that. I just need you to be my friend. And I said, I'm not doing it for you. And and that's how I think about things. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. And um, I know that if I, I think in my mind, if I ever lose the mindset that I have to I have to prove to myself every day that that I'm sorry. I'll forget and 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 I'll start doing things that suggest that I'm not sorry. Mm. You know, sorry is an action word, Jim. You know, um it, it's it's nothing in today's society to say, "Oh, I'm sorry." And then to turn around and do it an hour later, you know, "I'm sorry." How many times can you say sorry before? Well, one of the things we often would say, hey, I'm sorry. What's the big deal? Uh, I told you I was sorry. Right. I, how, many, how many times did you say that? How many times did you promise people? I have no idea. <laughs> none. None whatsoever. You know, um, I can tell you this. Um, I didn't tell that woman I was sorry for probably four years. Mm. Um, and by the time I did tell her, sorry, um, we had built a pretty good relationship and it was Christmas Eve. So I figured, uh, I might get her better, you know, her better side. She might not tell me where I can stick my sorry. And, um, you know, I, that thinking didn't really come into play, but, you know, I, and I didn't get that side of her. She, she told me. You know, she asked me what I was saying I was sorry for. Uh, and um, when I told her everything, she said, oh, I know. Well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you weren't a member of the Golden Rule Club either during uh, these particular years. And there's many people out there, uh, Will, who struggle with a whole lot of, uh, and when we talk about addiction, it can be to anything. Okay. So in mine in yours particular case it was it was drugs and alcohol that, that dominated our lives right could you share with a little bit of the people about that i we don't want to dive into all the horror stories however to qualify yourself just a bit um well like i said you know it it started out pretty much drinking and um you know I, and i smoked weed i smoked weed up until the day i decided to change my life um through all the other trials and tribulations um, that I ever tried. Um, weed was my mainstay. I remember when, you know, I decided to change, you know, there was a, there's always a question like, you know what I mean? Do you think that, you know, you can continue this in, in our world, it's called reservations, you know? And, um, and I remember saying, you know, if, uh, if I don't know how I would handle something happened to one of my children, or, uh, you know, if they ever legalize marijuana, I might be up a creek. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, here we are. I don't know if it's 100% legal, but I'm pretty sure at this point it might as well be Close. legal if it isn't. So, you know, and um, I have no um, desire to journey down that rabbit hole. So Okay. So when I talk to people outside of this arena and uh, share my story with them. 
I just generally tell them to assume that I was altered most of the time. Yes. Yes. I, I it's funny because I, I tell, you know, I tell these stories where, you know, the jobs that I would get that I would hold for a little while, you know, um, whenever I was high, like everybody just assumed that was me. It was when I wasn't high that everybody was like, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, um, I must've been, you know, very good. Uh, you know, I, speaking of my children's mother, who's, you know, never had battles with drugs and alcohol whatsoever, except for, you know, watching me during that time. And, um, you know, she would get tired of dealing with me and she'd be the one working and come home, hand me her, her hard earned money and uh, tell me if, you know, if you don't go get something and get out of my hair, uh, so to speak, you're driving me crazy. So you were miserable when you, uh, when you were on, let's oh. what we call enforced sobriety. No, I was a bouquet of roses <laughs> at all times. Um, you know, but it, but eventually, you know, uh, it led into harder drugs mm -hmm. and, and that's when, you know, um, it, it started before, you know, me and her was having a lot of, lot of problems, man. She was, she was tired of the way that she was being treated and, uh, we were just having a lot of problems and, uh, I was, I mean, you know, I was looking for excuses to, to not be in the house, you know, looking back now, I believe a lot of that had to do with my son being born and, not having a father and not ha understanding how to be a dad and, and um, the fear that overwhelmed me. And, and I didn't know it at the time, you know, because you couldn't even tell me I was scared of anything, let alone, you know, um, life. And, um, you know, that fear of being a dad to him and like, you know, what, what kind of a role model I was going to paralyze to me. And um, so I, I searched for reasons to get out of there you know, and um, eventually, like I said, you know, it, it journeyed to pain pills and then, you know, uh, cocaine became a real problem in my life and it went on to heroin and heroin didn't didn't stick around too much because it scared the, the living daylights out of me. But, um, you know, the, the pain pills that I was doing were harder than heroin. I just didn't know it because at least it's not heroin. <laughs> well, you justified that. Right. Mind, you know, so um, those were the things that I told myself. But needless to say, you know, my life had gotten just as bad as anybody else doing any, you know, anything that, that comes down. Well, I think this is something, this is a good point to tell people out there. Because when we get trapped in that cycle of addiction, we deal with guilt, remorse, and shame every single day. And other people out there are thinking, well, they can stop if they want to. They're they're worthless. But they, they don't understand that horrible, that horrible nightmare of existence. Jim, I think um from my, my own personal experiences, um it doesn't matter what we do. It's all over feelings. It's all over emotions. It's, it's all over inadequacy. It's all over low self-esteem. Um, you know, anytime we consistently make bad choices and try to avoid life, it's, you know, it, it's been my experience that it's, it's always about feelings and it's never about a certain substance. Um, we just gravitate to certain substances that might, you know, 
make us feel a certain way to the point where it takes over to the point where we say that that's our one thing, but it's really just the one that's got a hold of us. Well, what we do is when I go to speak at, I speak at a lot of rehabs and what I tell people is I said, you know what, you can, the drugs and alcohol, whatever, they're symptoms. Okay. So what we try to do is we try to find out what drives behavior, what drives that behavior. It's like, Getting rid of drugs and alcohol are like blowing smoke out the first floor window when the basement's on fire, okay? <laughs> and we often say, oh, gee, if Johnny would just stop drinking, oh, my gosh, Harvard's awaiting him. Or if Mary would just stop using drugs, uh, you know, she'll, she'll be the queen of industry. That's not true. Well, I think, the, the you know, the problem for a lot of people like me and you, Jim, is there's, there's always one exception. There's always one exception. There is always that guy who like has his bouts with crack cocaine and he quits that and he drinks and he's not really that bad of a drinker. And all of a sudden people like me and you see that and we're like, oh, well, we can be him. And, you know, chances are we're not him. You know, chances are we're me and you. And um, and I think that gets a lot of people caught up and, and it gets a lot of people to to not try, you know, a, a different way of life. And so what we're hoping to do tonight, Will, is there's maybe people that listen to this podcast, maybe listening right now that are saying, man, I wish I could stop because I'll tell you what, Will, every, every day I said to myself, I'm not using today ever. It's at one point during the day. I, I am not, I'm not using today. It's a great point, Jim. And, and, and I, I ultimately believe that um, the exception to the rule, the the alcoholic, the the drug addict, the overeater, the uh, the gambler, it all starts and ends with people, places, and things. No matter how you change your way of life, it all starts with making sure you don't put yourself in the same positions. Exactly, exactly correct. And sometimes, Will, and we've talked about this on our program before a number of times, is that my counseling firm, Namaste, holistic counseling, when we talk about holistic, there's three things that make a flower bloom, okay? Water, sunlight, and soil. And I refer to uh, the program that I'm involved in, 12-step for behavioral change, is that Water is taking care of your physical body. Very important. The sun, we consider the sunlight of the spirit. A spiritual connection with something. Doesn't have to have a name. And then the environment, the soil, is the people, places, and things that we surround ourselves Absolutely. with. If, we, if you take a beautiful flower, Will, and you transplant it into a sandbox, what happens? Well, it's not going to bloom. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, the, the saying that resonates with me is, if you know, you lay with dogs long enough, you're going to catch fleas, you know, and, and that I've heard the barbershop when, you know, sure. but, you know, given, given my certain circumstances, <laughs> you know, the barbershop, the barbershop one doesn't resonate with me since, you know, uh, I've been having to shave my own bald head for <laughs> the better part of 20 years now, um, you know, but the one that says, if you lay down with dogs, you're bound to catch fleas. 
that one resonates with me. You know, well, sometimes people can't see that. There's a saying that we use and saying that you can't read the label when you're inside the bottle. Okay. That goes for drug and alcohol addiction. That goes for anxiety and depression and particularly relationships. It's hard to see the big picture when you're part of the frame. Yes. Yeah, it is. You know, and that, that was me for the longest time. For the longest time, it was, um, you know, it was hard to see the big picture. Um, but I believe in my heart, Jim, I always wanted to be, um, the dad that my dad never was. And, um, you know, and I think the turning point in my life was, you know, getting arrested for selling drugs and knowing that I was going to have to tell them little people goodbye. Um, for some reason, it broke my spirit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it hit me harder than um, I think I ever imagined, and I, and I don't know, and you know, and I'm not I'm not the most religious guy in the world, Jim. And but I remember, I remember distinctly, you know, screaming out night after night because uh, suicide had become a viable option mm-hmm. because I didn't want to live like that no more. And um, and I remember for the better part of two weeks, and I prayed every night to this thing that I didn't believe in. Um, and, and I was asking for help and it was like, you know, even if you got to take my life because I tried and, um, I don't really have the kahunas to go through with this. Yeah. Um, but if you could so find it in your heart to either give me something or, um, take my life, that would be great. And, um, so it sounded like you had what we often for anything i often wish the people the gift of desperation yes i remember when i went you know two weeks later when i got um a a very distinct knock at the door you know that knock we get at the door (laughs) we know who's at who's on the other end you know i remember when i got that very distinct knock and walking outside and in the handcuffs i remember looking up at this pretty blue sky and thinking to myself thank you you know, and, um, but the pain that came with knowing that I was going to have to tell my kids goodbye, um, was something I didn't, you know, I didn't expect. And, um, it, it was brutal, Jim. It was, it was brutal, but, um, you know, I remember telling my son, like, I'll never, I'll never tell you goodbye again. And I don't, I don't know that that was the greatest thing to tell him. Um, you know, cause what did we talk about in the beginning of the show? How many times did we say, I'm sorry, you know? Um, and, and I don't know what made me do it, but, um, I promised him I would never tell him goodbye again. And, uh, and, and I've never told him goodbye again. So sometimes when we look at, we look at these incidents, I remember my own moment of clarity myself and uh sometimes we think these that was a horrible day people will come to me maybe breaking down crying they have their parents or their loved ones with them and maybe i assist them in getting into into some type of treatment and getting some help and they think this is the worst day of my life and later on we sit and talk about that and i'll say you know what you may have thought that was the best of your day of your life i thought the worst day of your life i thought it was the best day you ever had 
but that's that clarity. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I remember this time and I don't know if, if you do or not, but, um, I think it was my third day in, in a treatment facility and you happened to come into that facility. And I remember you looking at me and it's not very like you to like, look at somebody like, when are you going to do something different? But you did. I remember you looking at me like, when, like when in frustration and it's, I've never seen you frustrated like that. Um, and there was probably a moment in my life where that would have been an insult. And I remember taking it with a, a lot of heartfelt that you cared about me. Indeed. And you, you were frustrated because you knew that there was something better in me. And, and so I, I think the point in all this is if you're out there and you're listening and you think like there's no way, like there is. There's definitely a way. Um, it's hard work. You know, um, it, it, it takes, like we were talking in the beginning, it takes to like to be okay with not being the popular guy. It takes okay with having to make decisions that isn't based, made, you know, always the popular decision. Um, it takes sometimes standing in, in, in a room full of people who say they're spiritual people and, you know, having to pull them back or stand alone at times because, you know, we're all humans. And it's one of the hardest things to stand, times to stand alone is when you're standing amongst your peers and amongst people who believe they're already living a better life. So it's really hard sometimes to get through to somebody who already believes that they're doing everything right. Well, what we're saying is that we want to be with our tribe. We need to be with like-minded people. We need to be with people who aren't going to ask us why we did things because they know. Right. Okay. And they're going to say, I don't care what you did. Here's what I did about it. So there you were leaving your house in handcuffs. Uh the police obviously had no sense of humor about whatever you were doing. And no, they actually did. Um, because I remember the arresting officer, may he rest in peace. Um, at 18 years old, when I first moved from Baltimore, I was a wild child and, um, I had robbed the local dairy queen okay. in our area. And, um, he was the guy who prosecuted us in court. And um, we met, we ended up beating, but not beating the charges, but we ended up getting off. And he was so mad. And he jacked me up leaving the courtroom. And um, he had a lisp. So when he talked, he kind of spit. Okay. And he spit all over me. And I remember wiping, <laughs> wiping it off my face and grabbing his hands from clutching me in the courtroom and like, slinging his hands back and and telling him don't you ever put your hands on me again and um he was the arresting officer like 20 years later uh, and and he said uh i i told you i'm gonna get you <laughs> and he you know and he high he was happy he was very happy and um little did he know that i was gonna go through a change in life and um about four and a half 
five and a half years later, he was sitting in his car outside of my mom's house. And he hasn't, he hadn't seen me prior to the arrest. And, uh, and I remember knocking on the window and he must have not have recognized me at first since it had been some time. And um, he rolled down the window and, you know, when you, any, anytime a cop's approached, it's probably a, you know, a nerve wracking scene for them. And he said, can I help you? And I said, I just wanted to let you know that, like, I wanted to tell you, thank you, that you had, uh, you changed my life. And he looked up at me and he said, Will. And I said, yeah. And he said, oh my God. And so he went to get out the car. And as he went to get out of his car, like he, you know, he dips his head down. But by the time his head had resurfaced and he was out of his car, there was tears flowing down his eyes. And, um, you know, and he had told me, thank you, you know, because I had, uh, you know, I, I was the, the reason why he did what he did, you know, because he was trying to affect people's lives in a positive manner, not in a negative, the way the police are viewed. And, um, and I believe in my heart that's what we do. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait click the shop icon on our website we have clothing mugs cell phone cases and so much more show the world that you fish without bait this show is a member of the sorgatron media podcast network find out more at sorgatronmedia.com